0: Welcome to the Grattan Podcast channel. You're with Megan from the Grattan Institute, and today we're discussing the big issues in higher education policy. Higher education is a complex sector. There are many types of providers, from universities to private providers and TAFEs. Students are increasingly diverse. The sector's history dates back to before the Federation and with higher education getting a lot of attention during this year's budget from the coalition, there is one issue that has and will continue to remain, that of the tension between private and public funding. To talk through higher education funding, the pressures, the changes and possible solutions, I have with me Grattan's higher education fellow, Itama Charastadam. Thanks for joining us, Itema.
1: Glad to be here, Megan.
0: So Itema, what are some of the driving forces behind the funding pressures in higher education?
1: So I think that there are two main things, so the first one is around the growing cost of higher education itself. So we had the demand-driven system since 2012, and what we've got now is essentially about 30% more students than we would otherwise have at this point in time. And we also, from that, we also have an increase in spending as well. So we're actually lending out about three times. of the amount we lent in two thousand and eight, so which is this year is about nine billion dollars. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, and also the second pressure is also the overall um, pressure on the budget. So we had a, a, a deficit since two thousand and nine, and you know what the government projected is that it will remain the case until mm. you know a, a, over the medium term.
0: And can you talk us through the funding structure of higher education a little bit? Universities are the biggest player in, in this
1: market and they do two main functions. So one which is teaching, the other one which is research. Um, the government funds a majority of research funding to university um, and a, a portion of that came from teaching funding, so fees. Um, in terms of teaching, we have a mixed funding model which is similar in higher education, which is similar to in healthcare, for example, where both the private and the public contribute. So with teaching, um, students would pay about half of the teaching costs and the government pay about half. For students, students can actually borrow their student contribution through the HELP scheme, which is um, about half, so be- a little bit below half now, and the government is actually asking students to pay a little bit more, so from 42% to 46% in the budget.
0: So if you were to compare that to other um, universities, university structures around the world, so mm. you'd have somewhere it's totally public so those are the the universities that are entirely free yes and then you have somewhere like say america where it is entirely private funded correct by students yeah
1: so america is a really weird structure there's some universities that are more kind of like us or like the uc system the university of california system where you know we have a mixed funding and there are some universities that are totally private so you know students would have to pay their fees up front um so compare with things like the scandinavian countries or in germany where university fees are you know non-existent so everything is free. Um, many people have been talking about how these or these different funding system affect um, participation and the results are actually quite diverse in how you know in terms of you know with Scandinavian country you have very high participation rate and you know in the US system they're you know relatively high as well but then you also have you know the southern European countries some some countries will have you know essentially free education but very low participation rate mm.
0: so what is the current share of government funding in
1: Australia? So it is about 40%. So if we're just talking about direct grants, it's about 40% coming from the Commonwealth um, Government. And if you include the HEC scheme, which is the student contribution where students can actually borrow from the Commonwealth Government, that will be about
0: 60%. And has that changed much over the years?
1: It has changed a little bit over the years. So in the in the... We had a period where we had free education from 1975 to 1989, which is that 15 years, where students didn't pay anything. And since then, the Commonwealth contribution has been dropping ever since to about 40% now.
0: And do you think that the government's share of university funding is likely to increase um, in the future? Um, it is unlikely in in the near
1: future. Um, it is possible that we increase over time. It depends on the voting public the what we've got now is that we have you know pressure on on the budget, you know we have deficit for a number of years, and the problem with what we've got now is that the voting public doesn't think that we should um, that the voting public doesn't prioritize high education, so education in general, over other things like, you know, um, healthcare or, you know, stimulating jobs or even housing affordability.
0: And what if we were to see a change of government?
1: It is unlikely to change. Um, the Labor has been promising no cuts to high education um, in, you know, for the last couple of years, but... History suggests that it is more difficult when you're in government, when you actually have to balance the budget, when you're actually facing pressures from many other aspects of the budget. And the reason I'm saying that is because under the Gillard government um, a few years ago, they actually proposed an efficiency dividend, which meant that there will be 2.3, about 2.3 billion cuts to the system. That cut didn't go through at the time but it would have been a cut to the higher education sector.
0: So really across the board in terms of government that there's a a general feeling that cuts are necessary in the higher education area.
1: Absolutely. Mm.
0: Um, One of the most talked about issues following this year's budget was the changes to the income threshold for HELP repayments, which is seen to be one of the ways um, that we can reduce the level of funding going to the higher education sector. And that's similar to something that we here at Grattan proposed, correct? Yes, absolutely. Why do you think this proposal should be supported? So the government proposed um, reducing the threshold
1: from $52,000 to about $42,000. And the, the, the rate at which you repay is also changing so instead of two percent you're paying one percent so going from 52 of two percent and to 42 at one percent so that means you're repaying at about eight dollars a week um what does that work out to a year 420 oh. the moderate amount but if you're actually earning for um I'm um, you know many many would, would find it um somewhat uncomfortable obviously mm. um but it is a moderate amount and we had that we had the threshold which is just above this level a while ago in the Howard year so I think it was in 1995 when we had the kind of a massive reduction in threshold and that at that point the threshold was about $35,000 but you actually repay a larger proportion of your income so instead of one percent it was about three percent so this is actually, in terms of the impact on your budget, is actually smaller, much more moderate. Um, the reason we actually, we, we recommended a version of this, which is from 52 to 42, is because we think going to 42 would make, the, would make the support more targeted. So currently, for those who would be affected by this, so going from 52 to 42, about half of them are actually partnered. So, 42 is actually an underrepresentation of the resources available to them. Um, many of them are in relatively well-off household. Um, about, so, half of them are partnered and about a third actually have disposable income of over $100,000. Is that
0: guess, a third of the 50%? That's right. Yeah.
1: That's right. And a large part of why they're not working is largely because they're second- income earner of the household so they're working either part-time or you know um, a few shifts a week essentially um and therefore they're not earning a high amount but you know that doesn't mean that they're actually you know low income by by any standards so
0: so why would we go to um lowering an individual threshold Mm -hmm. then as opposed to going to um a household income Mm -hmm. means test yeah what would be the reason for not doing that
1: so, it's largely because it's a difficult thing to, to change too. While in, in terms of income support, we do have a you know partner income test. We generally, with the taxation system, we don't have a kind of a household income test. Like in America, we do have you know, a version of that. Um, in Australia, we, there's no, I guess, prison for this kind of test um, for things like taxation. And that's why we don't have it. And, um, Another reason why we actually supported this reduction in threshold is largely because we think that the current threshold is more generous than other forms of income support. Mm. So if you compare with things like New Start, so New Start cuts off at about 20, 25, $26,000. Now, the threshold currently is at 52, it will be reduced to 42. So it's still much more generous than things like New Start, things like low income healthcare card, things like minimum wage, which is about $36,000. Mm. So it is still more generous than those things. And we think that at the end of the day, HELP is trying to provide essentially a risk management tool And this tool should be more consistent with other forms of risk management that we actually provide to um, other people in the society.
0: So we talked a little bit about at the beginning about, you know, what are the funding pressures that are currently in the higher education space, but why, why are these changes that we've just talked about, why are they so important now more than ever?
1: So I think it's more it's it's more important now than ever because we have been um, spending more than what we can actually bring in through the through the consolidated budget. And you know, the sector itself has been growing rapidly over the last few years since the demand driven system. And that meant that now universities can enrol as many students as, you know, as they want to. And that has made a massive improvement in terms of access to low SES students. But at the same time, we know that they actually put even more pressure on the budget and to actually trying to avoid the cap coming back onto the system and therefore limit the access um, for our low SES students, we need to think about a way which we can reduce the pressure on the budget, which, has, which limits the impact on students, on universities, on research and on the society. And what we think is that reducing or changing help thresholds or changing help settings is a way which we can retain, essentially retain enrolments from low SES students, which means it has limited impact on the budget and therefore keep expanding the sector.
0: You um, penned um, an article recently in the conversation um, and I just want to throw the question to you. Mm. With all the changes that are happening with everything that's come out of the budget this year, is it still worthwhile going um, to university,
1: um, overall, yes. So, um, so university going to university would mean that you know, overall, you still have a lower unemployment rate. You're still getting a better job in general. So, you get more likely to get professional jobs and managerial jobs in general um, than those who didn't go to university. Having said that, it is important to know that, especially for men, young men who are interested in vocational disciplines they should really consider if you know things like you know voc ed qualification would be more suited to them and that's largely because they are really good jobs um, paid really well in voc ed sector for those who have voc ed qualification and it's 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 still a really good option but not so much for not so much for women um mm. unfortunately women have less of an option in that area we we are still working through in terms of what is the actual course of that which is, is that the discipline effect because as you know women are less likely to do more technical mm. disciplines um so when we're talking about you know voc ed qualification for women there tend to be more management mm. but for men it tends to be more things like engineering which are paid a little bit better so there's a a few things that's going on, but I guess the 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 general advice is yes, it's still worth going. But if you're you know if you're interested in Vocket qualification, Vocket
0: is is relatively good as well. There are other pathways. Yeah. yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Edema. It's really great to get a better understanding of the funding pressures facing higher education. Um, stay up to date with all of Grattan's news, research, and events by subscribing to our Twitter at Grattan Inst or on Facebook, Grattan Institute. And you can find Idama's um, article on higher education, as well as a number of other articles recently written, on our website, grattan.edu.au. And of course, if you've enjoyed this podcast, then please do help your friends to find it by heading over to iTunes and giving us a rating or review. Thanks for listening.